0: the poem Ubiri the Buddha says mother you wail in the forest for Jiva your daughter Ubiri get a hold on yourself 84,000 all named Jiva have burned at this charnel ground which of these do you grieve Ubiri responds, he pulled it out, the arrow hard to see, embedded in the heart. When I was overcome with grief, he expelled the grief for my daughter. Today, with arrow pulled out, hunger free, I am fully at peace. I go to the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. I go for refuge in this age.
1: Thank you. Any comments on this one? So the Buddha's walking along. He comes to a forest, and he, and he sees this woman wailing because she's lost her daughter. And he um, puts it in perspective by saying that it's actually 84,000 daughters that she's lost, all of them named Jiva. And Jiva means life. Um, and that they've burned in this charnel ground. And he says, which of these do you grieve? So in a way he's talking about uh, the ubiquity of uh, death and impermanence. Um, And it was just what she needed because when when he said that, she replies, he pulled out the arrow, arrow hard to see embedded in the heart. And now with the arrow pulled out, I'm fully at peace. So, by by getting a clear um, understanding of the universal nature of arising and passing away, she was able to become enlightened. As a, and as a laywoman, it was after that that she that she became orga- ordained. So my question is that on table one, you, you, none of the poems had the particular word that means the three refuges. And I took that to mean that that was not a concept, but clearly in this poem, she talks about the three refuges. That's a great question. She talks about the three refuges, but not in this grammatical um, form of tisarana. She talks about the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, but she didn't mention tisarana. So tisarana is probably um, a later word that came up uh, when talking about them all together, maybe introduced by an editor. Excellent question. And and then my other question is um, about the numberings. So I was trying to find so this one is a dialogue Then it would be classified in table Two, genre dialogue I, um, This one would be a paired soliloquy Okay, let's read Kisa Gotami. This is a really heartrending one. Volunteer.
2: Uh, Frail Gotami. Frail. Yeah. Frail Gotami. Kisa means frail. So mm-hmm. her name
1: means Frail Gotami. Mm-hmm.
2: Um As I was about to give birth, I found my husband dead. Before I reached my house, I gave birth on the road. For miserable me, two children died, and a, a husband was dead on the road. All while mother, father, and brother were still burning on one funeral pyre. Miserable, your family destroyed. You have experienced immeasurable suffering. You have shed tears for many thousands of years. I lived in the middle of a cemetery, the place children's flesh is eaten, family killed, despised by all. Husband dead, I attend the death free. I cultivated the noble Eightfold Path, leading to the death-free. I have realized Nibbana and have looked into the mirror of the Dharma. I have removed the arrow, laid down the burden, and done what had to be done.
1: So I, I see that one of the, we didn't have um the attribution of the phrases here. There's one verse here that is spoken by the Buddha, and the others are all spoken by Kisa Gotami. So it was an incredible adventure that she had. She was going on her way home to give birth to her second child, and uh, a storm comes up, and uh, her husband's trying to build her a hut, and he gets bitten by a snake. And, uh, and then she gives birth on the road and finds him the next day. Uh, and then she's trying to cross the river, and she takes her baby, her newborn baby, across to the other side first, and then uh, lays him on the ground, and turns and goes back to get the other one. And while she's gone, an eagle flies down and grabs the the newborn and flies off, and she screams. And when she screams, uh, her uh, older son thinks that he's calling her, and he goes into the river, and drowns. So within the space of a few hours, she's lost her husband and her two children. And then she continues her journey home only to find that everybody in her family died the night before from a fire in their house and, and they were burning on a funeral pyre. So at that point, she completely lost it and was so overcome with grief that uh, she became insane. Anyway, what's what... Um, what sort of changes things here is, is that, uh, and, and what I just recounted to you is from the commentary. It's not, you can see that, that all that detail is not in the, in the poem itself, but, but the essential elements of it are. And the, the verse, Miserable, your family destroyed, you have experienced immeasurable suffering. You have shed tears for many thousands of years. That was spoken by the Buddha. So it was a very compassionate Response to her suffering, saying that uh, it 's it's immeasurable, and all, again, it's a bit like he did with Ubiri you 've shed tears for many thousands of years, not just this lifetime but for for many 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 and then and then she um, when she goes to the cemetery and being so graphically confronted with it, the impermanence of watching uh, all of her family. Um, being eaten by carrion birds or being burnt. Uh, she has insight and um, her arrow is taken out. And then she went in the end when she says uh, she's done what had to be done, Elder Kisagotame, with mind liberated, said this. So that's how she woke up, was by being completely immersed in her suffering and, and again seeing the the graphic impermanence uh, of of all of her family members, and and by the way, this is the only poem in the Terrigata where the nun says at the end, mentioning that she's uh, saying this verse.
3: Yeah, that's right. Where, where no one has died, so it's
1: yeah. the Yeah. Um, yes, it is. I'm
3: sure sort of, it's sort of interesting that that
1: story is not featured in this poem. Um, well, uh, of, the, of the 73 nuns uh, in this uh, anthology, 20 of them are mentioned elsewhere uh, in the Sutta Pitaka. So this story about the mustard seed is is from another sutta Mm -hmm. uh, with Kisagotami and the Buddha. And of course, I guess
3: this is an expression, a personal expression in her words, rather than a story. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Meg? About these commentaries, both the commentary for the terugata and and then the many other commentaries, is there any statement anywhere or indication that the people who wrote these much later commentaries had access to material that has since been lost or is or do we just have to guess? I don't
1: I don't know the answer to that, but um Since uh, the Pali Canon uh, started to be written down um, shortly after the Buddha's life, and then uh, 150 years later, and 250 years later after that, I think it's um, excuse me. In the um, it was written down by the third first century BCE, so 300 years of oral tradition. Dhammapala was in the 6th century so it had been around uh, for 900 years by the time he was making commentaries on it so I don't know what, what, what other uh, information he might have had
0: that would tend to suggest that he um, uh, invented the backstories uh, in order to help make sense of, of uh, what he did have.
1: I think that's true of, of the commentary, and I think it's also true that as these stories were recited orally, um, there was a, a fairly accurate trans- transmission, but also it would be n- natural for the reciters to um, remember things a little bit differently or to uh, emphasize points that they think are particularly important from a Dharma no. perspective. Uh, so that's one, thi- one way that, that these poems evolve. And then another way is when the, um, the scribes write them down. So when, when the scribes are writing them down, uh, they might add a little bit of their own uh, opinion or flavor to it. And then there's uh, yet another one when we have the editors putting together all the collections. So there's a lot of opportunity for um, evolution in, in these poems.
0: Bart D. Ehrman, a uh, Christian scholar, has pointed out how during the Middle Ages, people, when people copied and recopied and recopied the, the the Gospels and the other books of the Bible, that there were cascading errors, and and um, most of them innocent, um, some of them because the copyists were not all that literate themselves, mm-hmm. but that's mm-hmm. who was available. And, uh, and, th- and others were deliberately uh, s- spun. <laughs> Interesting.
1: Okay. Uh, next we have a poem by Sujata. When you see a long um, mark over a, a vowel, it means that um, the vowel is pronounced twice as long, exactly twice as long as a short vowel. So her name would be pronounced Sujata, so the Su is a little bit shorter. Anyway, who would like to read
3: Sujata? Sujata. Adorned, well-dressed, wearing garlands, sprinkled with sandalwood powder, covered with all my ornaments, followed by a group of female slaves. Taking food and drink, foods of all kinds, and lots of it, I left home, and went to a pleasure grove. Having delighted and played there, I headed back home. On the way, seeing a monastic dwelling, I entered the black woods at Sakita. I saw the light of the world. I bowed to him and sat down. Out of compassion, the one with eyes taught me the Dharma. Listening to the great sage, I fully penetrated the truth. With that, I touched the stainless dharma and the state without death. I then knew the dharma and went forth into homelessness. I attained the triple knowledge. The Buddha's instruction was not
1: futile. Thank you. So here we see um, a wealthy um, laywoman who uh, has a retinue of uh, servants and they're all dressed up and they're having a nice big meal and drinking in a pleasure grove. And then, as she was heading back home, she, she sees uh, uh, this monastery and she decides to uh, go inside. And there she sees the Buddha and she recognizes him as the light of the world. And so uh, she says, out of compassion, the one with eyes taught me the Dhamma, or the Dharma. And then, and then she attains full awakening, just then and there. You know, what, what, a, <laughs> what a practice, you know? She goes from, from having a, a wonderful sensuous time, you know, with food and drink and pleasure, and then just meeting the Buddha, and listening to his teaching is enough for her to wake up completely. And uh, yeah, she says, I, I, touched the stainless Dharma, and the state without death. Often, the the arahantship is is described as deathless. Nirvana is described as as deathless. So these are three laywomen, who. Uh, Became Arahants before they were even ordained.
4: I wanted to ask what the triple knowledge here that is stated in Uh, the poem. Okay,
1: the triple knowledge is Te Vija in Pali. And the first one is being able to recollect all your past lives. Um, And you can, you know, I I think at at that time they were thinking about past lives in terms of uh, rebirth, but for us modern practitioners, we could think about it as our past lives during this lifetime, as we've been through many different iterations. Uh, The second is uh, the divine I, and so, with a divine eye, you s- you see the karmic destinations of everybody else. You you look at someone and you know exactly where they're headed. And you know the Buddha obviously had this in spades, but but all the arahants have it as well. You see exactly you know what's where people are headed. Um, what's the third one? Uh, it's yeah. hmm. It. Oh. Th- the three knowledges? Yep. The knowledge Oh, it's the knowledge of liberation, with the knowledge of the destruction of the, of the asavas. Thank you. Yeah. So, the, the knowledge of the destruction of the asavas, which we talked about earlier, those taints of uh, sensual desire and craving for existence and ignorance. Okay. Let's read Kema. Uh, she's an example of, a, of a, very, a young, beautiful woman.
4: Kema, safe, calm, full of peace, foremost in wisdom. Challenger Mara, she says. You are such a shapely girl, and I a young lad. Come Kema, let's enjoy our five-part musical instruments. Kamā says, I am bothered and ashamed of this foul, diseased, and fragile body. Craving for sensual pleasure has been abolished. Sensual pleasures are like swords and stakes, the aggregates their chopping block. What you call the delights of sensual desires is, for me, non-delight. Delight has been destroyed everywhere. The mass of darkness has burst open. Know this, evil one. You are defeated, end maker. You worship the stars and circumambulate fire in the woods. Not knowing how things really are, fools, you think this is purity. But I worship the one fully awake, the supreme person. Doing what the Buddha taught, I am liberated from all suffering.
1: Thank you. So the words that immediately follow Kema's name are uh, English translations of what Kema might mean. So her name might be safe or calm or full of peace, and she was um, considered by the Buddha to be foremost among all the nuns in wisdom. So the the first verse is when Mara, who was trying to knock her off the path, he wants to, uh, he's inviting her to a to another pleasure grove and says let's enjoy ourselves you're beautiful and i like the way gills translated this the five-part musical instruments it's probably let's enjoy ourselves through the five uh physical senses and um and she says already craving for sensual pleasure has been abolished so that's already the first asava is is gone and then and then she goes into uh the fact that these sensual pleasures are more traps than they are uh, delights, and and then she uh, she defeats Mara. Comments.
3: I'm kind of just blown away at how passionate these poems are. They are they're not analytical, they're really direct and you know full of full of life and uh when I hear them and I read them, I you know it's it's sort of I feel it in my gut.
1: I I they
3: they're full of feeling. That's I find that really
1: amazing. I've um, read uh, that there's a, I don't remember his name, but an Indian scholar who says that these poems are of way greater literary uh, merit than what were written by women for thousands of years afterwards in India. They're really something. And it's it's maybe because they were all Arahants, too, that they had this direct experience of this clear seeing of things as they are, and they didn't have anything to hide and And they were just you know telling what it was like for them, but i I really appreciate your comment because it's it's so true. A lot of them were really yes
0: Well, piggybacking on that, uh, I mean there's some vivid um metaphors yeah. in here. central pleasures are like swords and stakes. Um, and that leads to the question I had, um, here and in many other places in the Pali Canon, um, I see sensual pleasures referred to as, um, something that are things that are pleasures that are just harmful and to be avoided, not indulged in. Uh, it's things that will, you know, make you stray from the path. Um, the more m- the modern attitude in Buddhism towards sensual pleasures that I've picked up is, of course, we're going to enjoy, you know, food, uh, uh, a nice day where the temperature is just right, and so forth. Just don't be attached to them. Those are two very different attitudes.
1: They are indeed.
0: Any comment on that?
1: I think I think our modern uh, interpretation is also valid for the ancients. Uh, they talk about it as just you know sensual pleasures per se are to be avoided, but um, if you if you uh, do mindfulness of vedana for example, you're noticing the pleasant, the unpleasant, and the neutral. And this is a characteristic of every moment of our experience. It's going to be one of those three. So um, monastics are going to be experiencing pleasure and unpleasure, you know, uh, and uh, neutral states, but they're not going to, when they experience the pleasure, they're not going to go after more of it. They're not going to be craving more of it. Uh, and if if somebody's uh, really enlightened like, like Kema is um, you know it, for her sensual desires are non-delight She do, because she doesn't have the desire it doesn't mean she doesn't experience the pleasure of the sensual desires but she's not craving it
0: and doesn't do anything to um, to Feed the f- fuel the flames of en- enjoyment. So you, maybe yeah. you enjoy it for the moment, but don't think about it in a way that she, promotes The sexual desire
1: is eliminated, but the pleasure is not.
0: Okay, that, okay, that's a distinction that makes sense. Thank you.
5: So she talks about. Delight. She doesn't take delight, and delights another way of saying clinging, which also another way of saying think, clinging is passion, and Anarcha has dispassion, so you don't have passion for pleasure anymore. So you have dispassion, which a lot of Westerners or a lot of people find that if you don't have passion in your life, how can you live? You know. Uh, that's what it's saying. So you experience the Vedna, but there's no passion behind it, drawing you in.
1: And, and when, you, when you see that, you know, sensual um, craving is, is, is the first of the Asafas, it's, it's something that, that is completely eliminated when, when one becomes fully liberated. But it also feeds um, the second one, the craving for existence. So if, if we're still if we're still going after sensual pleasures, we're creating this uh, this uh, craving for for existence also. Also, so they're, the, they're, they're, they're interlinked. are yeah.
5: interlinked. Maybe incorrectness, but I think once you become a non-returner, the sensual passion is gone, that fetter is is gone. So then there's the existence part that come from there to anara. But once you become a non-returner, you're Passion and aversion is gone.
1: Yes. So I guess there's there's a the, the all these these different stages of awakening are um, conceived in what fetters you've let go of, um, but the final um, liberation is uh, when you have the knowledge of liberation. You have the knowledge of the destruction of these three asavas. So let's read one more uh, short poem by Dhamma. So she's a very old woman. In In Kema's poem we have a young beautiful woman and here we have someone who's old. Okay, great.
5: Dhamma. Weak, leaning on a stick, Wandering for arms, With limbs trembling, I fell to the ground, Seeing the disadvantages of the body, my mind was then freed.
1: It is great, you know. Here's this old woman, you know, and she's barely able to walk and leaning on her stick and trying to go on her arms round and limbs trembling, and then she falls down and boom. She's and, and falling down, she's she's as she says, I sees the disadvantages of the body. So le- lessening the attachment to the body, cutting it through, and then her mind is freed. There's a, there are a lot of examples like this in the Zen tradition, you know, somebody whacks you and, and, the, and the person wakes up, or, <laughs> you know, But it sounds like she practiced for a long time before she woke up if she was as old as that, you know.